I want to read a couple of verses quickly and then spend more time on one particular verse. If you'll go to John chapter 1, verse 41. John chapter 1, verse 41. Amen. If somebody could hit that screen behind you, I could follow along with you on the screen there. John 1.41 says, He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, or the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman says unto him, I know that Messiah, or Messiah, cometh, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will teach us all things. Now if you'll go with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 25. I know it's way back there, and I'm going quickly. Daniel, chapter 9, verse 25. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks. And threescore and two weeks the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Verse 25, it says, The phrase there, Messiah the Prince. The commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. So they're going to go back. If you remember Daniel, they're in captivity, most of the story of Daniel. This part of the commandment or the word of God is saying, you will go back to Jerusalem, you will rebuild and restore the temple, and you're going to restore it to Jerusalem. The Messiah, the Prince. Verse 26, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood. So, I just read to you the four verses that I can find in the Bible that mention the word Messiah in either Old Testament or New Testament language. Only four. Imagine that. We would think maybe it's all throughout the scripture. I want, I want to read those to you first because I want to give you uh, as much knowledge as I have on the subject, which is not a lot. Because there's not a lot that said specifically about Messiah, calling him by name, that. But I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. There is a lot that's said about the kingship of Israel. 
If you remember on Sunday, I told you the Bible really can be called the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham and his people, the nation that God birthed through Abraham, which we call Israel. And when we say Messiah, the king of Israel, we're saying, okay, it's the kingship of God's people. Isaiah is writing here and he says, For unto us a child is born. Everybody say us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us, say us. A son is given. Now, this is written many, many years before the actual birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So this is prophesied well into the future while it's in the past, but it's written in the present tense. So stay with me. It's kind of confusing. Unto us a child is born, like it's happening right now. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That means he's going to be in charge. Dominion, included in that word government, is the dominion. Who's in charge, okay? The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name, everybody say his name. Say it again, his name. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Verse 7, of the increase of his government, again I said that means dominion, him being in charge, of the increase of him being in charge, and his peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order it, and to establish it, with judgment, and with justice, from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I'd like you to go back to verse 6. I want to, I want us to focus on who Jesus is prophesied to be. The Messiah. Who is, who is he going to be? His name shall be called. Now we're going back into English class, and that's future tense again. So when he's born, he's going to be called these things. Nowhere in that verse does it say Jesus, right? So when you refer to him, you're going to refer to him as these things. Wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. Well, why don't we just call him Wonderful Christ then? Or in the name of Wonderful. Because these are descriptives. Okay? Descriptives about him. The word Wonderful, it means extraordinary. Extraordinary. He's not going to be ordinary. He's going to be extraordinary. And wonder 
means hard to be understood. He's not going to be like anybody you've ever met before. You're not going to be able to say, well, he's kind of like Miguel. Or he's kind of like Andrew. Or he's kind of like Vance. Or No, he's not going to be like anybody you've ever known. He's, and, and in that, he's hard to be understood. You, you, you don't relate to him the way you relate to other people. And it calls this wonderful counselor. Now, in English, again, there is a comma between wonderful and counselor. But in the meaning of the word, it links the two together. Yes, he's, a, he's extraordinary by himself, and he is counselor by himself. But you can combine those two and still describe who he is. He is admirable and he is distinguished. Counselor, it gives the ideal ruler or more generally a counselor and advisor. This is one who cares for or one who looks out for. This is not counselor as in you go to him when you want some advice. Understand the difference. Okay? Well, sometimes we'll, we'll have an issue, we'll have a, a conundrum in our life, and we'll think, well, I think I know the answer, or I know the way I want to go with this situation, but let me run it by somebody. And we call that seeking counsel. I'm not knocking that idea, but I am telling you that's not what he is when the scripture says counselor. Okay? I understand. Stay with me. I don't want to be thinking in my head, well, I have a feeling this is right and this is what I ought to be doing. Let me take that to the Lord and see if he agrees. I'm not just seeking counsel. From the Lord. He is counselor. One who cares for. One who looks out for. It could be summed up with this phrase. I have set my eye on thee. I will favor thee. One who cares for and protects. Think of a counselor at a youth camp. You, if, raise your hand if you've ever been a counselor at a youth camp before or a chaperone on a youth event or something like that. You've gone with a group of young people and you have been expected to be in charge of them. Well, think of yourself in the role of a, the parent for a second. What are the expectations that you have on that counselor? Or on that chaperone. You know what? I just want you to be around in case my kid has any questions. So go and be a counselor. Be around in case they need you. No. 
No, I am not sending my kid across the state hours and hours away from me and telling an adult, be there in case they need you. In other words, if they don't need you, just leave them alone. If they don't need you, let them make their own way for the week. No. My expectation for the counselor for my child is you stay right beside them at all times and you make sure they don't get themselves in trouble. Right? And then when they get a little bit older, you can give them a little bit of space. But you, what are you doing? You are an extension of the leadership and oversight in their life during that time. Now, I'm not telling you to go and parent them for the week, but I'm telling you be there, be present, act like one who cares for, act like one who protects and looks out for. Why? Because that's what it means to be counselor. Keep them safe. Keep an eye on them. As our counselor, he is not just someone we go to for advice when we want advice. He brings his care to us. There's also this idea of the legal context of counsel. If you've ever been in a court setting, you hear that term a lot, the counsel. Will the, account, will the counsel approach the bench? What are they talking about? They're talking about the attorneys, right? The lawyers. They call them the counsel. Now, just like what you want in a counselor for your child at camp, what do you want in your legal attorney? Somebody that's going to get you out of trouble, right? Somebody that's going to help you understand all the things that would benefit you in your case. Not, oh, I don't even know if he's going to show up today. Or he's always half an hour late, but let's just wait. And he's got all these other things on his mind. And I'm, I'm somewhere on his list, way down in the order of importance. That's my counsel. No, the counsel is the one, again, looking out for, speaking up for, and then also advising and advocating for. I want my counsel to be the most knowledgeable person on the subject. I do want to be able to go to them with all of my questions, but I don't want the, the case to stop at my ability to ask questions. I want them to have the knowledge and bring the knowledge to me. That's him as my counselor. If I let him, the Lord, this Messiah, this one that we're talking about unto us, a child is born and he will be counselor. He's going to be the one that advocates for you. 
He's going to be the one that looks out for you. Brings you the information you need when you need it. The fact that the Old Testament Hebrew links together wonderful and counselor conveys that he is an extraordinary counselor. Literally, it is the marvel of a counselor. He's going to give you counsel and care and protection unlike any counselor you could ever find elsewhere. My mind goes to the passage where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, Peace I give to you. Peace, my peace, I leave with you. Not as the world gives peace. What does that mean? That means you can go find counsel all around the world. You can find a subject matter expert on any subjects you're looking into anywhere in the world. But Jesus says, no, what I'm going to give you is not like what they're going to give you. They're going to give you some advice. They're probably going to charge you for it. Read between the lines there. <laughs> they're probably going to charge you for their advice, their counsel. And then, it may or may not benefit you. It might be the thing you need to hear. It might not be the thing you need to hear. My counsel, what I'm giving to you, is going to be for your benefit. I am a wonderful counselor. His voice is not just another voice in the mix. Please hear that. At least it should not be just another one of the voices. Well, I talked to my mom, I talked to my uncle, I talked to my grandparents, I talked to my neighbor, I talked to Jesus, I talked to Brother Hart, I talked to Brother Clyde, and, well, they all had different things to say. What... His voice is just one of the voices in the mix. Sounds like you're not letting him be wonderful counselor to me. I would be paying attention to what the extraordinary counselor has to say on the subject. Right? Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the mighty, somebody say the mighty God. More technically, this, this wording is God who is mighty. His name shall be called God who is mighty. The reason why I specify it that way is because this is a description. Again, these are descriptives, not just a distinction. Not like, which God are you talking about? Oh, 
The mighty God. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad we were able to establish which God we're talking about. No. It's not just a distinction. It is a descriptive of who he is. The mighty God. The God who is mighty. Hebrew language calls this the mighty hero or divine hero. That's when it talks about God. Mighty hero God. And then the mighty part of it. Say, uh, let me help you. For, this helped me once I stopped and thought about it this way. Let's not try to speak English and let's not try to speak Spanish, okay? Probably half the room in here is fluent in Spanish. I'm not. But I know that in Spanish, L, E-L, what does it mean? The, the, like la and L, right? If you were to look at this in Hebrew, you would see L, let me make sure I say it right, Gibor. El Gibor. That's not Spanish, though. It doesn't mean the Gibor. It means El, which is God. Like Elohim. El Shaddai. El, El. Those are always references to God. So El is God, and Gibor is mighty. Powerful, a descriptive of God, mighty God. Amen? This is not English or Spanish, this is Hebrew. See me after class for your certificates. And the word Gibor is not just like strong, like, okay, he's a strong God. No, mighty in the sense, the, the actual word that translates with mighty is to prevail. Or mighty enough to prevail. The one who is going to win. The one who's going to prevail. It, it means more to me when I say his name shall be called God who is going to prevail. What's next on the list? Wonderful counselor, the mighty God. What's next? The everlasting Father. So just like the mighty God is truly God who is mighty, this is Father who is everlasting. If you, if you ever look, I encourage you, get a Bible app. Get something that you can read and study. Go on blb.org. That's where I would start. I started there many years ago. If you don't have a phone or an iPad, or maybe you do, but you want more, go to that website, and you can go into a verse like this. And it doesn't just do word for word, like this word means this, this word means this. It tries to put it into the actual order and meaning of the whole thought. 
right? Because the Bible was not written in English. Newsflash. The Bible was not written in Latin. It was not written in Spanish. It was not written in any other language, but the language that the authors spoke at the time that they wrote it. And this saves me from having to do years of Hebrew and Greek lessons if I can go and see the work that someone else has already done. So that's how I know the true meaning is the Father everlasting. Let me pause for just a second here. Remind you that this says, Unto us a child is born. And again, it's the prophet writing in the Old Testament about something that's going to happen in the future. And this child who's going to be born is going to be called the Father Everlasting. How can that be? Well, I'm kind of glad it starts with the word wonderful there, right? Because it means extraordinary. Hard to be understood. Remember, that's what it meant. So hard to be understood is how the baby that's born in Bethlehem, when you pick him up and look at him and say how cute he is, you're saying, everlasting father. This is not just a child. Not just a baby that's going to grow into an adolescent, then a teenager, and then a young adult, and then a grown man. This is. The descriptive of him is Father Everlasting. Father truly is the eternal Father. I like this one because it gives a Latin equivalent. And I, I couldn't say it properly because, again, I don't speak that language, but it's something like pater patrie, patrie, pater patrie, which means the father of the people, the father of the country, the father of his country. Again, look at the baby born and say this is the father of his people John you know this John 1 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us the pater patrie the father of his people became flesh dwelt among us and we look at that child and we say, this is the expression, this is the earthly manifestation of the everlasting Father. I'm trying to help somebody. I know I'm going slow and this is, this is not like what you're used to. But I'm trying to help the Lord. I want the Lord to help us with our understanding. When I pray... I, I'm starting to do this more and more, I feel like, throughout my years 
as I pray and I just reference him, more and more frequently I'm calling him Father. Oh, Father. Thank you, Father. Good morning, Father. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? Let's start there. We can refer to him as Father. He is Father in creation of all of us. He is the true patriarch, progenerator, the creator, the first. He's my Father. Everlasting Father. Forever. In perpetuity. I'm just using big words tonight, so try to stay with me. In perpetuity. Perpetual. Ongoing. Not just from the beginning and not just at the end, like Sister Pat said on Sunday. Ongoing. Perpetual. Everlasting. Again, I think everlasting, and I think, well, that just means he's eternal. And I say, okay, if he's eternal, then he's outside of anything that I can relate to. But he's not outside of anything I can relate to because he is perpetual, ongoing, today, yesterday, today, tomorrow. Not just 2,000 years ago and somewhere off in the infinite eternity. He is always the everlasting Father. The last one, the Prince of Peace. Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. Sar, Prince. This is not like the king's son that's just waiting to become king. Okay? Trying to help you. Well, if he's only the prince of peace, how come he's not the king? Is he really not in charge? We're not even talking about royalty when we say prince. This is in a military sense. Prince. Sar is the military equivalent of general or captain. Prince. We, we use this term oftentimes when we, talk, we think about evil. We say the prince of darkness, right? Or the, the prince of the power of the air. We don't assign those royalty. We think of them as just the bad people in charge, right? Well, it's the same with not royalty, but in charge, commander. He is in charge, the general. The captain, a leader or commander, especially of soldiers. So he is the Tsar, the captain of peace. And peace is not what we think it is either. Uh, uh, if I, I wish I would have done this search real quick, but I th- I'm pretty sure. This is the only phrase, the only time in Scripture that that phrase, Prince of Peace, is ever mentioned. If I'm wrong, you can see me after. But 
That phrase has really made its way into our modern Christian vocabulary from just this one passage. We sing about it. We pray about it. Oh, do we pray about it. Every time there is a problem. I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to be uh, sarcastic with this, but every time somebody dies, I hope that's a fair statement. Lord, give them peace. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be critical, but I'm just saying the way that we think peace is they're going through a hard time right now, so they need extra peace. That might be true, but it's not from this passage of Scripture. Because peace right here is, has nothing to do with tranquility or relaxation or the peaceful place you would go to get away from the things or the people that are bothering you. Do you have a, maybe you have a, 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 a nest, <laughs> a safe place. I go here to get away from the world. I, I, I try to find the place where I can unplug and nobody can talk to me. Some of, it, some of us, maybe it's a certain room or area in our house. Some of us, it's like, no, I, it's across the state in a, in a place where I go and stay once a year or whatever. And that's my, that's my refuge. That's my place of peace. I'm wanting you to see that in comparison to the peace that this scripture is actually talking about. Because if it was only that peace, well, you'd have to stay there to have peace, right? It's kind of like all the moms that are home with little kids. Whatever room you got to get into and shut the door and have five minutes to yourself. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm trying to have some peace right now. And you've probably seen it, the little hands or the little plates or whatever, they scoot under the door. I'm not leaving you alone. Well, that makes sense for a little getaway for a little retreat, but you can't live there, right? The parents have to be in the same room as the children, at least some of the time, to parent them. Well, we can't just stay in our relaxation place, our special nobody-bother-me place, and, and then... Oh, I guess I'm going to have to go deal with the real world again when I leave this area. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to get you to see this piece is not that piece. That's a lot more like what I said earlier, the piece that the world gives. We try to find the absence of problems, the absence of pressure, and call that peace. It's really not. It, peace has a few different meanings, but in this particular verse, it's talking about our welfare. 
It's talking about our well-being. And I'm not just talking about like self-care and all that stuff. I'm talking about how are you living day in and day out? Are you living with ongoing battles? key phrase right there battles because I already said the prince is in a military sense he's in charge militarily of the battles if you're in a battle then you're not in peace anytime there's a military connotation or a military presence, you're not really completely at ease. As in, like, whew, I can take the day off. You know, just imagine. Take the day off, but we're going to send one of our army generals just to stand guard beside you all day while you're taking the day off. That doesn't sound very relaxing. That doesn't sound very peaceful. That's what I mean. You're not really ever completely at ease. Like, ugh. while there is the military presence, until you make friends with the guard. Until you let the guard truly watch your back. I am going to go rest. I am going to go not worry because you're in charge, because you're watchful. The Prince of Peace literally means the one who is in charge in times of peace. The one who is in charge in times of peace. This means if he is not in charge, it will not be a time of peace. He's the one in charge of the times of peace. What sense would it make to say, all right, my life could be completely a time of peace. But you know what? No, I, I'm a little bit more comfortable when things are not all going well. I, I need a little bit of confrontation. I need a little bit... This word's not in my notes, so please just stay with me. I need a little bit of drama in my life. Things are going a little too smoothly. A little too peaceful. A little too quiet and calm. I, I'm at my best under pressure well I think we just diagnosed the problem we're interested in being at our best I'm really if I'm trying to live biblically I'm not trying to live at my best I'm trying to not live at all and let God live through me He's my best. Paul said, in my weakness, I will glory. In my infirmity, 
Because in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Perfect, complete, is a lot closer to this word peace. Because it has to deal with completeness, wholeness. Nothing's missing. Nothing's lacking. So in my weakness, his peace manifests itself. If he's in charge, it will be a time of peace because he's in control. If it's not a time of peace, he's not in control. I've learned this too many times throughout the course of my life. Even just maybe one certain area. Maybe, maybe your life is mostly good, mostly going as it should be, but you got this one situation Maybe it's a relationship with somebody on your job. Maybe it's that car just always has a problem. Everything else is great, but whenever I look at that car, oh, my blood starts to boil. Whatever it is, one little thing in that area, if it's a battle, if it's a struggle, the commander of peace is not allowed to be in charge. I guess I would say it this way. He's not being allowed to be in charge. I had I had a car situation. And I got into that car. I believe it was God's help that I got into the car for less than a thousand dollars. And I liked it. I thought it was going to be great. I thought it was going to be what I needed for that season. And then one thing after the next, after the next. One time, finally at the end of all this, I sat down and I wrote, how much have I spent on this thing? I was well over $4,000 and the thing was still not running any better. I mean, it, would, it had its good days. But then it would have its bad weeks and months. And then another good day with another several hundred dollars. And then, what's going on here? Could it be, I'll just ask it this way. Could it be that in that situation that was turning into more and more of a battle, I wasn't letting God be in charge? I don't want to cut this loss. I don't want to admit my stupidity oh i hope that's not too much flesh for you i'd rather keep sinking more money into this thing because i i know it's got some promise i know that one time i drove it and i felt the turbo kick in Woo! i want that yeah that one time before it sat for a year and stared at me every day I walked out of the house. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, what are we going to do about it next? What are we going to do about it next? I did not have peace with that situation. I was sinking 
in trouble in that situation. Everything else, life is good, kids are good, family's fine, job's going okay, and it's just like, this car is laughing at me. That's what it feels like. And then, I'll be honest with you, I probably wasn't praying about it the way that I should have been praying about it to give the Sar of Shalom a chance to talk to me about it. Instead, I'm, no, I got my mind made up on this one. I know the outcome that I want from this situation, and I'm trying to control it. I'm trying to manage it. And the prince, the commander of peace, is saying, okay, you can keep exercising your control as much as you want, but that means I've got to have my control hands off. I can't release my ability, my power, because you keep exercising your own power. The child is born to us, the Messiah, the King, promised to us. And all of these are descriptives of him. He will be the extraordinary one, the wise one, the one that gives the best counsel, protection, wisdom. He will be the powerful one, the prevailing one for us. Why don't you stand with me? I'm almost done here. Verse 7 again, it says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. In my walk with the Lord, in my relationship with the Lord, once he proves himself as ruler over one situation, once he, once he finally gets me out of a bad car deal, that should be a little bit of an increase of me giving him more control, more governance, more dominion. Oh, Lord, you finally helped me out of that situation. You know what you did? You proved to me that I should trust you with more. You proved to me that I should try to manage less. I should try to seek you more. Not make my own way. Not try to call my own shots. And that's increase of his governance. That's increase of his peace. Would you just close your eyes and pray with me? Come on, maybe you've got a situation you're seeking for peace about. Maybe you've got a situation you need the wise counselor, the wonderful counselor to help you with. 
Would you just lift your voice? Would you just pray to him? Father, we need you right now. We are seeking after you. You are the everlasting Father. You are the mighty God, the one who prevails. Jesus, you don't lose battles. Jesus, the only ones that you don't win are the ones you're not allowed to fight. God, in your name, I'm surrendering to you, Jesus. I want you to be the commander of peace in my life. I want you to be the governor in my life. Jesus, take control, I pray. Take control, I pray, Father, for your leading, for your will, for your wisdom, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. I'm encouraging you as you go throughout the rest of this evening, this week, the coming days. This is not many items. It's only five descriptives. And you can just read this verse until you memorize it. But take this child that's born to us with you into every area of your life. Remind yourself he's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. And I want that increase in my life. I want that governance in my life. Amen. God bless you. Greet one another. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.